when we pray. Father, thanks for the beauty, the value, the wisdom, the gift that your word is. And we pray as we uh, gather around it today and interact with it and, and desire to grow closer to you and to be equipped for ministry that you'll build us up and we will see the truths of this verse that the word does enlighten and transform and restore and build up and warn and that we would long for it and value it more than gold and that uh, our words and our actions as we have interacted with you today uh, would be acceptable in your sight. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Give us uh, spiritual and physical stamina for the day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so my task is to give you a crash course on emotions in an hour. And uh, that's actually a pretty tall order because if you think about it, emotions are pretty uh, complicated to some degree. When you think about emotions, uh, what are some emotions? Overwhelmed. Being overwhelmed, <laughs> like at a conference, so let's say. Uh, overwhelmed, what else? Anger. Being sad, mm-hmm. happy. happy. Any other emotions? Yeah. Um, fear. Now, we don't think about it because of our psychotherapeutic culture, but depression in the Bible is seen as a, a, a spiritual emotion. What else? Discouragement. Frustration, surprise, anxiety, and worry, and all those sorts of things. Yeah, there's lots of them. And and you know, I know just that that um, some emotions are really great, aren't they? Uh, any uh, Texas Ranger baseball fans? J- just imagine how that game would have been with no emotions. They won. They did win. Let's go to bed. Okay. I mean, that, that's that's how you're watching the Rangers would be if you had no emotion, right? Uh, going to Six Flags, watching your kid play soccer, you know, and, and 900 other experiences are just boring if there's no emotion, right? And, and on the other hand, um, would you agree with me that Difficult emotions are probably one of the most painful life experiences, right? So it's like maybe we could be kind of weird to not have the good emotions, right? Life would be pretty boring. But on the other hand, life without the negative emotions wouldn't be so bad because that's often what we're struggling with. And uh, so we ought to expect that um, in our own lives, in our own marriages, our relationships, and in the people that we care for, that emotion is going to be a thing that they're going to want to talk about with us because it's it's those downer emotions that often bring people to counseling. And um, so my task is to uh, try to build a theology, build a schematic of this. And uh, what I want you to do, uh, some of you have heard this material before, some of you haven't, but what I want you to do is just like test this. Um, I have to catch myself... Because I say things like, uh, you make me so angry, or if I didn't have this situation, I wouldn't feel like this. I mean, I'm prone to sort of lying to myself like that, and maybe you are also. But but yeah, once you kind of understand how God made emotion and and how 
it works, uh, hopefully we can um, at least begin progressively to, to work through some of that even in our own lives. So uh, the question we're looking at on the ACBC exam is a counseling exam number three, provide a biblical theology of emotion. This is probably one of the questions that's going to be really hard to get a page and a half and no more. Uh, if you spill over into two pages, you're probably going to be okay. The grader won't, won't kill you for it. But um, you're going to have to be concise. So now notice um, the biblical theology of emotion. What role should a counselor allow a counselee's emotions to play in counseling? How can one tell the difference between sinful emotions and righteous emotions? And how would you use scripture to help a counselee change improper emotions? So you see, you really got four parts of the question. You've got to give a theology. You've got to address the role in counseling. You want to help distinguish and evaluate. And then how do you change? That's a lot to do in a page and a half. So um, my name's Keith. I'll be your tour guide this morning to try to get you and navigate you through all this. Um, <clears throat> so so let's just, let's just dump, jump right into the deep end of the pool here. Um, when we think about... Uh, emotion okay if um let's see let's do this um well let, let me let me just let, let, let's just jump in like this so emotion is not a biblical word if you look it up in your concordance you look it up in your index you're not going to find the word emotion and that right there doesn't mean it's we throw it away we don't pay attention to it but it does mean we have to say hmm what is this word that's so important that everybody talks about that isn't in our Bibles? And anytime, anytime the, the secular way of viewing a subject is vastly different than the biblical way of a subject, or even if the vocabulary is different, we ought to stop and just tap the brakes a bit and say, why is that? And the reason that the Bible, I think, doesn't have just one word for emotion is that... Um, while some of the mechanics are the same, the Bible's approach is to just sort of explain each expression of emotion using its own vocabulary and its own explanation. So, so for example, um, uh, anger is a emotion that says, I want something too much. That's what it's saying. And I, I, I didn't get it. Um, anxiety is an emotion that says, I don't trust you, Lord, and I want to take control of a situation. You know, so, so every emotion is saying something about you. It's saying something about your relationship with God. There's no emotion that is not connected to your relationship with God, even if you don't acknowledge it. Because as all of life is to be lived in relationship with God if in, in the fall and in sin and when we're not walking with the Lord, we're trying to do life apart from God. And, and a lot of times those negative emotions are simply saying there's something wrong in terms of how you're relating or not relating to God. So I think that the Bible's answer is not, here's this bucket called emotion, we throw everything in it, like the world kind of does. The Bible says, let's talk about each one of these scenarios because they have unique features now i think we can make some general statements that apply to to most emotions which we'll do in a minute but so we just need to stop and think about we need to come at this a little bit differently and i'll confess i'm a little even a little bit nervous talking about a theology of emotion because again it, it's just not the bible doesn't systematize it like that 
So we can do it, but you'll, you'll see what I mean here. Um, the, one of the things we have to do, and, and this is the Bible does this, and it's so important, is to think about our language and how we use language, especially when it comes to feelings and emotions and desires and things like that. So, for example, um, David Pallison, in uh, the article that's referenced there in your notes, uh, he demonstrates that we use the word feel, I feel, we use that in several different ways. And his point, and I think it's a good point, is that we tend to be kind of sloppy, kind of... um, careless sometimes about how we use vocabulary and biblical counselors must be careful with what we say in the language and the vocabulary uh, we were interviewing a, a supervisor in training we have uh, guys that are up and coming as fellow supervisors in ACBC and uh, we were talking to him about an article that he had written and uh, he was not careful with his words and so he was he was using this word this way, and then another paragraph he would use it a different way, and sometimes he would say this was sinful, sometimes he said it was neutral, and it's like, dude, you know, you, you we didn't say dude, but um, <laughs> it comes out, sorry, but um, we said, you know, biblical counselors have to be careful with their words, and especially supervisors have to be very careful, uh, because that vocabulary ought to reflect the, how the Bible approaches things. So, so just think about this. The phrase, I feel, h- how do we use that? We might say something like this. I feel tense. I've got that test coming, right? You know, Thanksgiving's coming, got the test. And I feel tense about that. Well, that, that's a statement of sense perception, isn't it? You know, I, I just, it's a physiological, I just kind of feel uptight, feel tense, uh, feel kind of, when you use the word overwhelmed kind of thing. So we, we can say it to simply per- describe a, a sense perception, right? We also say, I feel, to describe something very different. I feel angry. The difference between that is, you know, th- this is probably more of a, a situational scenario, whereas this is, you know, I've actually responded to life in some way. How about this? I feel as language for what I think, believe, or my attitude. I don't feel the Bible applies to my situation. We say things like that. And yet what we really mean is I don't think the Bible applies to my situation. So we're using feel in place of think. And then uh, the other one that we, we do very often, I feel is really saying desire. I don't feel like talking to him. I don't I don't feel like a Whataburger. I feel like a Grumsburger today. And we, we say things like that, right? So you see the problem is we're using feel in, a, in somewhat of a generic way. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we use words and, and they mean different things. But when it comes to feeling and emotion, we've got to be more careful than this. Because... Um, uh, we're going to say that emotion, according to the Bible is a active response of our inner man to some sort of life situation. And that's very different than saying, for example, I feel tense or what I think or what I want. What we should say is, you know, uh, feel, think, want, and, um, you know, we just call it what it is, right? I'm, I'm angry, right? So the, the language of feeling muddies the water there. So what what are useful categories? What are biblical categories for thinking about feeling? Well, there's really uh, there's really just two of them. 
and um, feeling as a physiological sensation, right? It's something that, that um, is a body-induced state, right? But there's two main types of those according to Scripture. And um, <clears throat> we, uh, in fact, even in the life of Jesus, you know, one of the things that, that we see in Jesus' life is that Jesus as fully man as well as fully God manifested both of these types of feelings. So the first type is what we call affective feelings, affective with an A, affective, meaning uh, these are feelings which arise from the operations of the inner man, affective feelings. And uh, you say, how do we know that these feelings arise from the inner man? How come... How do we know that they are moral in nature? Well, let's just let's just look at some passages we already know. Should we do that? Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll look at one category of emotion, one category of affective feeling. Uh, you guys know the, the chapter really well. Paul's writing uh, to the Ephesians and probably some other believers as the letter circulated. Uh, he's talking to them about the, the church that is a place that builds up one another in love as leaders equip the saints to do the work of service. He's talked about the change process in chapter 4. And at the, at the very end of chapter 4, he is applying that change process to various things. Right? He talks about lying and falsehood. He talks about uh, anger and stealing and, and unwholesome words. And then right at the end, in verse 31, so this is chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 31, he writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. What do you notice about Paul's language regarding these feelings that he's speaking of here? What's interesting about it? Okay, that was your cue, so just jump right in. They are negative, okay? Yeah, Melissa? Yeah, he is saying put them off. He's saying you shouldn't feel like that. Isn't that interesting? Now, now our, our, our young theologians here um, can help us with this, but in our day, you know, uh, uh, we, we old people maybe grew up in a, a different environment but you know our young guys here today the the um how do we think about feelings the expression of my feelings is not only the right thing to do the proper thing to do the expression of my feeling is a matter of being true to myself Right. So um, if Mike and I are friends and I want to be real and authentic to Mike, the the theology of the day, the theology of the culture today says not only do I need to express my feelings to Mike, but he ought to celebrate with me my feelings if he's my friend. You see that? Uh, the, the technical label is called expressive individualism. 
but it's this idea that the expression of my feelings is not only proper, but is necessary to be true to myself, and you and I ought to celebrate those feelings as well. And we can talk about you know, gender issues, we can talk about um, identifying with woolly creatures, that was a discussion at the dinner table the other night, um, all sorts of other things, right? That's the, the crazy culture that we live in. The idea that what I feel is the truest indicator of who I am as a person. Well, contrast that with what we just read here. God defies our feelings, doesn't he? God commands that some things we feel are morally wrong and are occasions for repentance. And look at the next verse. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. You say tender-hearted. Tender-hearted? God not only commands certain feelings, or, or better said, certain emotions, ought to be things that we remove. He's going to command us to feel certain things, like tender-heartedness. That's really interesting, isn't it? That, that flies in the faith, face of, of the feeling theology of the day because not only does God care about our feelings and emotions, He commands our feelings and emotions and He says certain feelings and emotions are wrong and need to be removed and certain emotions and feelings are right and need to be pursued. And just, just think about how that radically shapes, reshapes, how we think about feelings and emotions today. They're not just things that happen to us. They're certainly not expressions of our um, most authentic self, although I suppose emotions do point to what's going on in the inner man. But, but you know, rather than, like the culture today says, you know, my, my feeling is like the, the Google navigational aid, you know, telling me where to go and how I get there. And, and God's saying, actually, there's some of your emotions that are wrong. N not wrong in the sense that they're not truly coming from our hearts, but wrong in terms of saying that that moral reaction is misguided and fallen. So again, I, I know I'm preaching the choir here, but you have to think about this in the culture of the day because you're like, well, of course we repent of anger and of course we pursue kindness. And then you're going to get somebody that comes to you for counseling. And, and that is like way over their head. I mean, they, they've never thought like that before. And they're going to come to you and they're going to say, well, my, your role as the counselor is I'm just going to dump my emotions, right? And you're going to affirm and validate and tell me everything is great. And as soon as you're like, actually, look out. Because a lot of counselors are not going to be ready for that reaction. Because you're bringing a biblical perspective, they're bringing a culture. Yeah, Micah. Yeah. David, in what uh, context? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so great. Yeah. So, what we need to do is figure out where does that fit in our theology of emotion, because. 
when when uh, Paul says here, you know, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, what he's saying is there there is a proper place for emotion, right? And and then what do you do when you are in fear? What do you do when you are perplexed? What do you do when you are running for your life, like David and the psalmist were? And um, and how do we? What do we do with that, right? So let, let's come back to that because that's a great question that we need to answer. Okay, any other thoughts at this point? Okay, so when we're talking about effective feelings or what I'm going to call emotions, these are feelings which are associated with the operations of the inner man. Uh, we've talked about, we won't turn there now, but um, we remember um, like we talked about last night, Genesis 4 with... Um, uh, Cain and you know he responds to the rejected sacrifice with anger and depression. God says you can change that, right? It, it's a that depression and anger was a response of heart. And, and again, when you think about it, those feelings that we're calling effective are associated with operations of the inner man. All of them tell us something about what's going on inside of us. Like I said, worry says something about where what we're trusting. Anger says something about what we're wanting. Fear says something about uh, danger and, and, uh, and on and on and on, right? Um, sadness reveals what we value, right? If, um, <laughs> if you're a, uh, a Diamondbacks fan and um, the Rangers win the World Series, you're going to be sad. In fact, I was I was flying through, happened to be going through the Phoenix airport right in the middle of the series, and there were Diamondback fans everywhere. And uh, emotions are, are really fun to observe, especially in sports. I mean, you, you you can build your theology of emotion just looking at sports, right? And um, so, think about that, okay? The Rangers win the World Series the first time in history. Ah, the cloud grows wide. And, and there were two vastly different types of reaction. You have celebration, elation. You got people dancing in the streets. You got people working. You know what they, have, what they did in Arlington? They shut school down. We're not doing school tomorrow. Why is that? The Rangers won. Okay. You know, and, and we're going to have a parade. And the guy climbed up on the pole. You, 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 right? you, and you go, okay. And then the camera pans back to Phoenix. And there are people, they're sad, they're depressed, they're, they're downcast, and you go, what is that all about? Now, on the surface, you're like, Pastor Keith, it's obvious, right? Ranger fans, Diamondback fans, right? You know, but, but, but what does that say? It's saying what we value. If you value the Rangers, you're, Rah! if you value the Diamondbacks, I'm not, going, I'm not going to work today, I can't, I'm too depressed, right? That, that's what you do. See, that, that's, that's what depression and sadness, they're saying something about what we value. So every emotion is pointing to valuable information about how you and I are responding to life on the inside. And it reveals really important things like what we love, what we hate, what we fear, what we want, what we worship. And that's why emotions are so important. Now, I'm, I'm getting into the second part of the question here. So we don't want to ignore emotion because emotion is a window into your soul is what they are. Um, they also make life interesting um, in terms of expression and uh, emotion in that. So 
Anyway, so affective feelings, that's the first type of feeling. The second type of feeling, uh, if we just categorize these, are body feelings, right? Or we could call them somatic feelings. We just That sounds more technical, right? Soma, the body, somatic or body feelings. Those are feelings which are associated with the outer man or the body and reflect normal body operations. So things like hunger, thirst, pain, sleepiness, tiredness, or body problems. Things like illness, disease, drug and medication use, etc. Now, unlike affective feelings which are by nature moral and spiritual because they arise from what's going on in the inner man body feelings or somatic feelings are not moral in nature Uh, whether i'm tired or hungry or i feel sick because i got the flu those are not occasions for uh, repentance. They're, they're not occasions for put off or put on. I've looked in the Bible. God never commands us regarding these sorts of feelings. Now, he might say, you know, take care of your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that has implications for eating and sleeping and stuff like that. But But he never tells us to repent of, you know, this amount of sleep or that amount of sleep or, you know, eating this instead of eating. Those are not, those are not occasions those feelings are not occasions for um, uh, moral conversations. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's a good question. I think what we have to do is recognize the the Bible's the Bible's kind of, you know, flying at a higher altitude when it's talking about the body. Uh, Science and medicine and other studies have filled that in a little bit so we can say, oh, wow. okay. but I think for our purposes, what we're just trying to figure out is, you know, what's a body issue versus a spiritual issue what what feelings arise from a body operation versus an inner man operation now don't hear me say that if we're talking about a feeling associated with the inner man that the body is not a part of that certainly it is and that that's maybe part of the fascinating of brain science or whatever is we can say we know biblically this anxiety is a a spiritual issue but how does anxiety interact with our body our brain in terms of the circuitry that's implicated and, and what breaks down and what's what's firing in that part. So that's where we go. That's fascinating. If I want to learn about that, that's great. But it, that's not necessary for me to honor God in terms of the paradigm that he's giving us. But, you know, you're a science person. I'm a science person. It's interesting, right? Um, <clears throat> so, but but the, the Bible's categories are just simply effective and somatic or body. Um, interesting jesus uh, we, we won't do this right now but if we go through the gospels the bible says that jesus was weary he was tired he slept he was hungry he was thirsty um, certainly he felt pain uh, crucifixion and and the the beatings that led up to that so jesus though he was a perfect man and obviously fully god as well nonetheless experienced this range of somatic feelings uh which again kind of affirms the categories that we're seeing here so yes ma'am so this is a southern phrase angry mm-hmm. so yeah you know so how do 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, see what, what hangry is, and we all understand that. We've all maybe experienced something like that. What hangry does is it demonstrates how our culture doesn't understand emotion. They're making an accurate observation which says, when I'm in a certain body state, in that case I'm hungry, that I am more prone to a effective response called anger. Now, they don't say it quite like that. They just say it's this idea that I'm irritable, I'm more prone to being angry or frustrated or impatient when I'm hungry. And that's not a bad observation because that's true in many cases. What I think what the Bible has to do is say, well, how are we supposed to understand that? And, of course, the way we understand it is to say, if I'm having a body feeling which is not moral in nature, it can nonetheless influence an effective feeling which is moral in nature right so if, if i snap at my kids because i've been working in the yard all day and i missed lunch i can't blame my uh my angry response on the fact that i was hungry now that's that's why people that's why the phrase is kind of funny because that's kind of what they're doing they're kind of dismissing well you know that, that doesn't count because it was hangry right but no it does count um but so the bible would say there's a there's an interaction here and it's that interaction that the culture misses. Um, okay, so affective feelings, body feelings. We think about feelings. That's what we're talking about here. And what I'm going to argue is really those affective feelings are what we're thinking of as emotion. Okay, now what about desires? Um, again, Dr. Pallison talks about desires. Um, you guys are experts on uh, James chapter 1 by now. So uh, you can turn there if you want or we can just wave our hands at it. But... Uh, what James is going to identify with the other biblical writers is that my wants or my desires are also a very strong feeling that I experience at times. Um, desires. Uh, James writes, um, each one, you know, this is the context where he's talking about why are we tempted? You know, God doesn't tempt, right? And then he says... Um, each one is tempted, this is one fourteen. each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust or his own desire. 15, then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So that, that desire, that lust, that ruling uh, idolatrous desire is a huge, huge influence and this is where we have to really think biblically because sometimes when I feel a strong feeling, it's not because my inner man is responding to life. It's not because my body is having a normal feeling process. It's because I want something. And this is what's interesting. I can want something strongly enough that I actually feel it, right? Right? Um, desire is often experienced in feeling. And so the, the distinction there is I have to recognize that. If um, you, 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 you see this in relationships, right? You, you, some, sometimes a guy, sometimes a guy is talking to his wife and she can see that there's clearly something wrong. It's all over his face. Right. And yet 
he's not able or unwilling to articulate that what's really going on is he's wanting something. That want is strong enough that he feels it. She can see there's something going on in him, right? But he's not saying it. Is that, are you with me? Wives, are you with me here? Is this, okay. So husbands are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, okay, so, so the, the, the point there is that sometimes we're, we're feeling something strongly, but it's because we're wanting something. And uh, so that's where, again, Dr. Pallison helps us to see that um, what we want is expressed as a feeling. And uh, that's interesting, okay? So, and then if, if we build this up now, you say, what is an emotion, right? An emotion is just an inner man response, a heart response accompanied by a feeling. Now, this is where I've given you a new chart. Uh, the one you have in your existing notes looks like the water molecule. You see that there? The one in your notes looks like the water molecule. Oh, there's no chart there? Really? You don't have this? Where is it? You don't have that? Oh, good. Well, now you got the right chart. So, okay. So I, I removed the water molecule because too many of you said it felt like chemistry class. So, um, <clears throat> no, this is, I, I think this actually represents things better because what we're saying is, or what, what I'm trying to say is that So here's your inner man, and it has some sort of response to life. So I get home, and I walk in the door like I did last night, and there were shoes loitering outside the closet door. And I said, I know, I know this never happens, but I said to my son, Hey, um, the shoes are probably not going to work their way to the closet on their own. Maybe you should come help them. To my son who was in the living room watching the football game. And uh, so I'm walking in the door and what happens? I look and I see the shoes sitting in front of the closet door, and I go, those shouldn't be there. They should be in the closet. And what rose up in my heart was what? A want, <laughs> a want that I wasn't getting, right? And, 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 and it, was, it was low altitude, barely off the ground, but it was anger. It was. And, um, and that, that feeling in my body of frustration or tenseness or whatever we want to call it was a okay so maybe it was frust we'll call it frustration because it was low altitude anger okay frustration so this is what i'm feeling but the reason i'm feeling that is because in my heart, I evaluated a situation, I concluded something was wrong, I wasn't, my son wasn't behaving the way I wanted him to behave, and so I responded, right? So you see, my feeling of frustration doesn't come out of thin air, my feeling of frustration is arising 
from my heart response of wanting something and not getting it and and my son in his his reaction there okay does that make sense so what i'm saying is this whole process this whole thing here is what i'm calling emotion emotion is that whole thing it's the process of an inner man response that produces an effective feeling and that's maybe we'll just clarify we gave those two categories remember we're calling this an effective feeling because it's arising from the inner man now think about that if if i'm if i'm driving home after a long day of cbcd conferencing and i'm like you know i'm a little hungry and um that's a that's a somatic response right my my body is alerting me hey you need to eat something that's different than this okay are you with me is this making sense okay so so that's what i'm saying is an emotion emotion primary reflects the internal workings of the inner man jesus talks about that and remember um this is review of track one so we won't do this now but remember how i respond in my heart reflects some key components it reflects things like what i'm worshiping what i'm wanting we looked at that a minute ago what i'm thinking what constitutes our treasure you know so so rewind if if i if i walk in the door and i see the shoes on the ground outside of the closet door not inside the closet not mostly in the closet i mean they're just they're there and if in that moment I thought, you know what? It has been a long day. I've been teaching the Bible to biblical counselors all night. And God is giving me an occasion to practice what I've been talking to all of you about all evening. Because I love Christ, because I want to worship Him, because everything ought to be done to the glory of God, this is actually a wonderful parenting opportunity. If I had thought like that, instead of, come get your shoes, they're not going to get in the closet on their own. Right? You see, that that's a different response. Now, could I have done that? If, if my heart was set on worship, if I was wanting to please God more than get my own way, if I was thinking biblically about the situation instead of selfishly, and if Christ was my treasure instead of having my house in order. Yeah. But it is hard, isn't it? It is hard. So it's these factors, it's these factors that set up how what happens here. And um, do, do you remember? You remember the old? Um, do they still do this? Um, you guys listen to Spotify and Pandora and all that now. But um, do, do you do you remember the? This is a test on the radio right you know this is a test of the emergency broadcast yeah well when i walked in the door god didn't tell me this ahead of time but those shoes and i'm not sure i i don't i'm not sure i passed the test so 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 the point is um emotion happens because of a heart response the heart response is based on what's going on inside of us now, the other thing we have to recognize, and, and this is the hard part, usually in emotion, we recognize the feeling first, 
and what's going on in the heart second. When I walk in the door, something, and I see the shoes, it rises up in my heart. And and what I feel in that moment is feeling, is frustration, anger, disappointment, you know, whatever I'm feeling, right? And that, the feeling is the obvious part. And it takes reflection. It takes thinking. It takes evaluation. It, It takes coming down from the emotion and going, now, why did I respond like that? So, so here's the thing, the, the emotion, the, the feeling part of the emotion is usually the one we recognize first, because it's obvious, right? You can feel it. It's, it's, it's a sensation. And yet the reality is that's what's really important, because that's what's driving the feeling part of the emotion. And, and notice that that's why the Bible, the, the Bible recognizes that emotion is more than just cognition. It's more than just inner man operation. The Bible actually uses phrases like filled with rage overwhelmed with sorrow to communicate that emotion is a strong feeling it clo- it shows the close association between the inner man and its and the outer man and it just you would you would agree with me it is easy to focus too much on the feeling alone and miss the inner man isn't it uh it, it would have been easy to just blame my son that my displeasure last night was because of his shoes instead of recognizing that my displeasure was because my inner man was out of sorts now that's hard to admit but it's true Uh, and this is another reason why we talked about medication last night if we're just medicating what medication does is it changes the feeling or sensation Oh, I don't feel displeasure anymore. I don't feel anxious anymore. I don't feel depressed anymore. But guess what's ignored? I've not done anything to address this. So one of the dangers of medication, not saying it's never uh, appropriate, but one of the dangers of medication is you can change the feeling part of emotion without addressing the heart. And that's dangerous because it's the heart that's most important. Okay, we've got to move on here. So, So that's something of... Uh, a theology of emotion okay you got the picture there and just with that in mind can you just agree with me there are many things that our culture says that just are inaccurate emotions can't be hurt you hurt my feelings because they're not a thing an emotion is a response to life so they can't be hurt they can't be damaged emotions can't be abused now when we talk about emotional abuse what are we talking about we're talking about people that are highly manipulative and controlling that's a real thing and it's very painful for sure i'm not saying that's not a real thing what i'm saying is calling it emotional abuse may not be the best category because we're using the word emotion in an improper way emotions don't just happen right we can control them according to scripture and emotions in us cannot be created by other people he makes me so angry where emotion always arises from my own heart response is there a provocation sometimes sure but it's ultimately coming out from my heart so yes saying something is that, that what you said is hurtful is a better way to describe it, it is. Okay. it's a better way to describe it. i say when you hurt my feelings that's using feeling and emotion in an improper way. It's okay to say what someone said was hurtful. Sure, yeah, that's more accurate. Okay. That's more accurate. And then the Proverbs say that, right? There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, right? 
Okay, so where does emotion come from? We've got to be careful here. If we go back to Genesis 1, 26, 27, we recognize that people were made in God's image. God expresses righteous emotions like hatred, jealousy, love, sorrow, anger. And, um, and so just a footnote on that too. God's emotions are not the same as ours. Uh, scripture teaches that God is impassable, meaning he, he is not subject to moods and swings and things like that, that that he is consistent in his being he is perfect in his nature and so when we talk about god having righteous emotions we have to recognize that that is uh different than what we're talking about with us because god's nature is unchanging and certainly you know we're just always kind of changing and going along in life so um the capacity for human emotion is a result of being made in God's image and likeness. And thus we recognize emotion is a good gift of God while still saying that emotion is different. Um, but the fall into sin vastly affected the emotions of people allowing for sinful emotions. So think about that. Before Genesis 3, there, there are no sinful emotions. They're not there. They don't, they're not present. You say, well, how did sin coming into the world do that if the capacity for emotion was a good gift? Well, like everything else, what sin does is it takes God, God's good gifts and it perverts them. So emotion was a capacity given to Adam and Eve meant to glorify God and enjoy his world. Sin comes into the world, it perverts that capacity so that now we use emotion for the wrong sorts of things. We, we experience emotions that are a result of sin itself. Like the rest of human experience, emotions need redemption such that people live pleasing to the Lord in all areas. Okay, so that's kind of our, our theology part of emotion. So let's see if we can answer these other questions here. What role should emotions play when it comes to counseling? Well, if you're tracking with me, we first have to recognize that the way mental health and uh, psychological culture views emotion is really a bit misguided. Emotion is not the most authentic aspect of a person. Expressing emotion is not the key to wholeness and, and mental health. In fact, there are times the Bible is going to command you not to express certain emotions. And um, you know that's that's so that's so in well, it's lots of things, but. When people come for counseling, you're recognizing that you're probably talking to somebody who believes that expressing their emotion, even to you, is the path to healing. And and on the one hand, we don't want to tell people, ignore your emotions, um, deny your emotions. We're not saying that. But what we're saying is just expressing them, and as the, as the proverb says, giving full vent to them is not the right way to handle it either. So biblically, emotions are a window into the person's inner man, and thus biblical counselors should pay great attention to emotion, and that helps us see what's going on in the heart. Proverbs 18, 13, uh, uh, 25, uh, Proverbs 25 talks about um, a man of understanding draws out the issues of the heart. Well, how are you going to do that? A great way to start to figure out what's going on in the heart is to look at the emotions. The emotions are the fruit on the tree. The root system are the issues of heart that have produced the fruit. 
So don't just focus on the fruit. Try to figure out what's going on in the root system, what's going on in the rest of the tree. So this is going to help you with things like data gathering. It's going to help you with things like revealing hard issues, what people believe, worship, desire, want, think, what they treasure. Um, we also recognize that righteous, godly emotions are indicative of spiritual health, while sinful emotions are a cause for spiritual concern. So when you see a person walking in contentment in a hard thing, when you see them rejoicing in the Lord in, in a painful experience, when you see them grieving the loss of a loved one, but not without hope in heaven, we say that that's a very healthy person. The fruit on the tree, just like in you know fruit trees, tells you something about the health of the tree, doesn't it? And conversely, when, when you see somebody who's angry and bitter, who's depressed, who's living in fear, who's downcast, we say, okay, that's helpful to know what's going on inside, but it also indicates that uh, that there's some challenging, some ill spiritual health that we would want to help them with. Okay, so so what role should emotions play? They're diagnostic, right? They, they show you what's going on, and they also are indicators of spiritual health. So how do you know the difference between sinful emotions and righteous emotions? This is the easiest part of the whole question. Read the Bible. Because the Bible is going to say very clearly there are certain emotions that are godly and righteous and even commanded. And the Bible is going to say there are certain emotions that are sinful and ungodly and need to be repented of. So you just you go to the Bible. And that's actually really freeing because when you're talking to somebody in counseling... And they're like, you know, you just say, well, why is this wrong? Well, let's turn in our Bible and let's look. You know, I, I have a right to be bitter with my husband. Okay. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. And you say, it might feel right. You might feel justified to harbor that bitterness toward him. But your God, my God, who is all wise, who has our best interests at mind, who knows what is good for us, is saying, I need to repent. This is not good for my soul, and it does not bring glory to God. So this is where we have to help people see, don't ignore your feelings, but don't give them a role that God didn't intend for them to have, right? Don't ignore them because they tell you about your inner man, but don't give them the steering wheel of your life and say, well, it, you know, bitterness feels right, so I'm going to go with that. Um, resentment feels right. Revenge feels right. Or, or how about this? Anxiety is just normal, right? Everybody's anxious. It's not, not, not moral. It's not wrong. It's, it's, how about this? Here's, here's what the, world, the, Christian, the Christian community is saying this. Anxiety is suffering. It's suffering. And, and what people are saying is, not only is anxiety normal, it's suffering, meaning it's not an occasion for repentance, it's an occasion for encouragement. What do you think about that? It, it can be. It can be self-inflicted suffering. I don't think it's wrong. Yeah. So, so what if we said, 
while we ought to show appropriate sympathy and encouragement to somebody who is struggling with overwhelming anxiety, we're not going to help them if we don't lead them to see that is an occasion for repentance. Right? So what's happening today is things that the Bible puts in a category of sin, people are pulling out of that bucket and they're putting it in the bucket of suffering and saying you just need to encourage the person and normalize their experience. Whereas the Bible is saying, yeah, we ought to encourage them, but we also need to help them to see that that's a place of danger that needs repentance. So a common Christian belief is that all emotions come from God, and yet so they're essentially neutral, and thus can be righteous or unrighteous, yet there are some emotions that God never experiences and are always sinful. Anxiety is one of them. The the Bible never says God is anxious. Or God worries. Uh, the Bible never describes God as struggling with sexual lust, which Scripture would put in a moral category of an ungodly uh, emotion. So, um, so we can't say emotions are all neutral, right? There are certain emotions that are just purely fallen and uh, are always wrong. Um, but we can make a distinction, right? We just look at the Bible using biblical criteria. There are righteous emotions. There are sinful emotions. And then there are emotions which can either be righteous or sinful depending on the certain aspects. So, for example, you can have the fear of the Lord, which is a godly fear, or a fear of man, which is an ungodly fear. You can have righteous anger, which is indignation because God's name is demeaned. You can have sinful anger, which is because I didn't get my way. So... We, we work through that using biblical categories and the Bible helps us to see you know, which, one of the, which of those are righteous, which of those are always sinful, and then which emotions might be either righteous or sinful depending on certain aspects of the emotion. Um, how do you use scripture to counsel change and improper emotions? Again, th- this is nothing new because we, we handle this with the normal change process, but let's just review that. Uh, very quickly here, right? Emotions, first of all, are changed indirectly, not directly. So we'll go back to our text in Ephesians. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Repent of your anger, God says. And we say, that's easier said than done, right? How, how, do, I ju- how do I stop being angry? Well, the answer is, if I want to move away from that sinful emotion... I have to get to the heart of what's causing it. Remember, this is the, this is the process. So if I want to change the feeling of anger, I've got to change my response that created the feeling. That's what I mean by you have to change them indirectly, not directly. You can't attack the feeling directly to change. You have to attack the response that led to the feeling. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, we have to go back to what's causing it, right? What's being worshipped? What's being desired or wanted? What's the thinking that needs to change? What am I valuing or treasuring that might need adjustment? Uh, if, I, if I'm valuing a house properly put in order, the shoes loitering in front of the closet door are not going to be an occasion for an ungodly response on my part. If, that's what I, if, if, if I'm valuing Christ above valuing an ordered house, um, that's going to change my response. Okay, so we have to get under the hood to that reality. Uh, emotions must be changed by recognizing how the expression of the emotion affects the emotion. Have you noticed this? Uh, Proverbs says, um, uh, what is it? Um, a fool 
gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Which means, if I respond in anger, that's a, that's a bad response. But if I express that anger, that's an even worse response. So what happens, you guys have seen this, what happens with emotion is how we express the emotion actually reinforces the emotion. If, if I get angry in the car because of traffic and I yell at drivers, that yelling at the drivers reinforces the ungodly response to be critical of how people are driving. So the way I change that is not just to deal with the heart issue, but I've also got to deal with how I'm expressing the emotion, which means replacing my angry words at other drivers. They can't hear me anyway. But if I replace that with thankful prayer, in addition to dealing with my heart, well, now I'm going to really, really be in a position to change that emotion. Words and actions actually reinforce the emotion because they create ways of responding in habits of behavior. Does that make sense? So we can't just look at the heart. We do, but we also have to look at how I'm expressing the emotion. Emotions are changed first by recognizing how the gospel is the only hope in conversion and in sanctification. And then emotions are changed by following the change process, which, you know, this is track two, so you guys are are experts in that, right? Growing experts. Right? So going back to Ephesians, I'm identifying my anger, my bitterness, I'm putting that off, I'm replacing it with kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, and walking in that as I'm leaning on the gospel of Christ to work in my heart. Um, so that that's how we do that. Uh, I listed a couple of uh, items there. You may or may not have space in your answer to do this. Most people don't, but if you want to use uh, Cain or Jeremiah as case studies on how emotions can be changed remember god says if you do what's right will not your countenance be lifted up right meaning if you're following this response cain your feelings are going to change we see the same thing in jeremiah he's discouraged he's despairing we talked about him when we talked about depression and then what does he do this i recall to mind and therefore i have hope and he starts rehearsing the lord's loving kindnesses his compassions his great faithfulness and as he remembers god what does he do he turns away from those ungodly emotions and he embraces the reality of who God is. His inner man changes and therefore his responses and his emotions change. So Lamentations chapter 3 is a great case study as well. Okay, deep breath. I know that's a lot of material, but you've got the theology, you've got the proper role, you've got how do I know righteous from unrighteous, and then you've got the change process there. Okay, we got our first break here, so you can... Uh, be dismissed to that. If you have any questions, come on up and let me know and